co-host with the most joshua joshua how are you doing i'm doing well i'm doing well i am in the same spot that i'm usually in you elijah how are you doing i'm good i'm good you know nothing nothing gets you going like uh having to move in the middle of january but you know we're doing it we're taking (laughs) it in stride and we'll we'll have a new home somewhere in tucson pretty soon but you know it's not about me. What it is about is Newcastle. And ladies and gentlemen, Newcastle are heading to their first cup final since before it's, I was born. <laughs> what? It's insane. Yeah. It's insane. Um look, I'm a I'm a, I've been I've been a fan for a long time. A long time. Okay. And in America, we've got lots of different sports, right? And the the way our sports structures are set up is that it's cyclical here. Like the good times come and the good times go. I've been a Niners fan in it, you know, for gridiron hand egg football here in the US. I've been a Niners fan forever. Mm-hmm. Good times come, the good times go. You get draft picks in, your fortunes change. Um been a Blazers fan for a long time. You know, good times come, good times go. Yeah. Same thing with Newcastle. The new, the good times have been rare. It's yeah. rare air, and and we can say this unabashedly. Newcastle is going to a domestic cup final for the first time since before before I was born. When sure. was the last time they went to a domestic cup final? I th- I want it. It might have been in '86. Okay. Okay. No. 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 So I was good. I'm good. I'm still old enough. <laughs> it could have been '76. It's. It might be '76. I think it was. It might be '76. I think it might be '76. I was born '76. So we're right there, man. It's been my whole lifetime. Okay. Okay. Um, people. I were, was wrong. People, people were crying. It was okay. Newcastle went to a Cup final in 1999. In May of 1999. Oh, okay. So I'm assuming okay, okay. that sounds like FA Cup final, and they probably lost. That we haven't won a trophy since yeah, it was since, like, since 1976. Yeah. So we were alive. Still, you you were you were still. a young lad, I'm sure, and I I was two years old. So oh, I was I was wearing a I was wearing a nappy. Oh, <laughs> the Brits don't know what that is. The... So, uh, yeah, no, I think they know what a nappy is. I think they don't know what a what do they call it? I think that's what they call it. Nonetheless, my friend. Nonetheless, <laughs> the the mag the magpies are headed to a final, and it was really heartwarming to see how emotional, um, yeah, 
supporters were um, grown, grown, grown men, grown women, just in tears over the joy of their team that they've been waiting for so long to to even go to Wembley. What a trip that's you know that's going to be. If I had all the money in the world, that's what I would spend it on. I'd, I'd yeah. get on a plane tonight. Yeah, uh, yeah, that it, yeah, for sure. That's one where. Uh, you you either just yeah. I mean, that's one where you either make your way up to Newcastle to be there for the atmosphere of like being in the bars, or you just make your way to London and just like try to bum a ticket to the final last minute. For sure. Um. Cool. Well, let's let's uh. We got a lot to to cover today. Um. Of yeah. course, we'll talk about the cup match. Uh. It's the end of January. We're recording this on transfer deadline day. Of course, by the time, well, technically, we're recording this like the day on february 1st if you're Post. in the uk yeah yeah so um anyway uh so that that being said we're going to talk about newcastle's january dealings um kind of grade the window i know josh has some updates from the women's side they actually i mean yeah. i don't know if you're gonna talk about this josh they signed a couple players today too um uh, which is oh i don't have that in my notes you want yeah. you want to hit that real quick while you have I, it up go ahead yeah I, I can i can pull it up while you're uh while, while you're okay cool but yeah yeah, but yeah i'll just give the breakdown we'll, we'll, yeah, let's start with that. We'll do, and then we'll do uh, the recap, and then we'll we'll preview this weekend. So you can take it away. Great. Uh, the Newcastle United women last played January eighth. They had a three to two win that keeps them four points above third place Stockport, but they're falling behind Durham Cestria. Uh, they they only have two matches in hand, or they have two matches in hand, which is good, but they are seven points out of the only promotion play. So their January 29th match has been postponed. The makeup date has not been posted, but um, they finally end their nearly one month break this Sunday, February 5th at Chorley. They last played Chorley at home on September 18th and drew one, one. This is a team. If they're going to get back on track, this is a team they can beat. And they and they must they must win. I think they they absolutely like they have to go away to Chorley, and I think they really have to get the three points to get back on track. Um, with two matches in hand, even if they got both of those at six points, they're still you know they're still re- three results away from getting into that promotion point place. And the games that you know the games to the end of the season is counting down. So, what kind of reinforcements did they bring in? Wow. Well, speaking of, I think. Uh, like, you know, some people may argue that the men's team didn't do enough to secure top four, but I think the women's team did honestly exactly what you do if you're in if you're in the position they are in and you have a chance to to, to gain promotion. They signed two two players that are that that recently played and are, are former uh, players in the FA Women's Championship. So that's the second division of women's football. So it's like the equivalent of of if like if like a league two side or probably even lower just went out and, and bought like I don't know I don't want to say John Joe Shelby but like yeah like bought John Joe Shelby and just like he was playing for like Colchester which I don't even know if they're in league two yeah. right now but you know just players that are well out of their depth and so I guess money talks on women's side uh it's Cara Milne Redhead which is what a name <laughs> just she does not have red hair, but uh, she's a midfielder. And then Charlene Pizzarello. Wow. Okay. Um, speaking of Coventry, um, actually I said Colchester. Uh, Milne, Milne Redhead, Kara, 
Uh, she played for Coventry United, and then Pizzarello played for Louvs um, and uh, the Redhead, which it's so weird that that's just her last name. Is it L E W E S? Is it Lewis? It's it's well well L E W E S. What is that? What is yeah? That? Louis, that's pronounced. Yeah, it's Lewis. Yeah, it's a um, it's actually a really big club. Yeah, um, I'll just say this. They thing. are, yeah, fairly progressive team, very well known in certain circles of women's football there in the UK. So, no, that's a big get for us. To oh, be yeah, quite it's massive. With I you. mean, and, and Redhead, she's in, she was in the Man- Manchester City and Manchester United youth systems. She's only 20 years old. So, also a big potential buy as well. Oh, and then yeah, Pizzarello of, is 25. Yeah, she's 25 and played in Spain uh, for a long time. And so, this is massive uh, to bring two players of this caliber. I'm completely sorry for butchering names, but I mean they got some names. Oh, that's over right. There. They got some names, <laughs> and also England. I need I need them to 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 figure out pronunciation because I mean I don't know. I just feel like some of the some of the words just don't match up to to how they should be. Uh, how they sound like, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, Josh, I know you have some thoughts. I gave you some limited information, but uh, I don't know. Overall thoughts on bringing in two big time players to the women's team. No, it's super important. I think you have the nail on the head. Any, anyone um, that's been following the welcome to Wrexham saga, which has caused absolute turmoil in us soccer circles. The discourse. Um, (laughs) Yeah. If you, if you are here, um, you know exactly what we mean. If you're UK based, you're you're probably like, yeah, we've we've heard of Wrexham. Everyone knows of Wrexham. What's the furor um, in the US? Certain people are very insecure about their their teams, especially when it comes to Major League Soccer, and they want to know why people are following Wrexham instead of, you know, random MLS football team dot com. Um, but one of the things that the reason I mentioned all of this anyway is uh, what. Wrexham have done and they play non-league they they play one league below the English league system um so they play in the national league and they're looking for promotion into the league system they have gone up and grabbed players from two or three levels above them you know 70 90 90 places in, you know in the ladder above them in in the system um they've grabbed them paid them sufficiently and then and then injected them into the team they are competing for promotion they're going back and forth um in that promotion spot um with with knots uh, county and a couple other teams that are also spending money as well so it's really important for teams that have the cash in hand to spend it on the players that are commensurate to the level, but also every once in a while you can reach up. If you can reach up and you can grab somebody and you can get that player to come down and play for you and help bring you up to where they are used to playing. They're going to play at such a higher level. Um, you know, they're, they're going to bring this Newcastle United women's team up a notch and it's going to be super yeah. exciting to watch. Now, now I've got to find a stream. I've got to find a stream and that match, what I say, that match was going to be on, oh, it's going to be this weekend, right? It's going to be on Sunday. So we got to hunt that down. We'll hunt a stream down. Yeah. Um, and, and like you said, I think for me, the, the thing that sticks out is that they're fairly young as well. So you kind of hope by the time, uh, new, like these are one uh, women who hopefully stay with the team long term and would, you know, would imagine as the team upgrades and, and continues to progress in the system like by the time they make it to 
uh, you know, the championship level or higher, like you have essentially players who are good enough and are, you know, been with the team long enough to really be leaders within the team as you continue to fresh up the squad. But yeah, yeah, it, it is, it is akin to Wrexham. That's a good point. Um, but yeah, so that's the women's team. Uh, let's move on to uh, our, a little review of January. So uh, January, uh, always exciting for, for many reasons. Uh, especially under new ownership, I think in the Ashley era, it was not as exciting. It was very much a, who are we going to get from the bargain bin? Is it Nabil Bentlev? Is it uh, Sadeo Dumbia? Is it going to be, uh, I think we signed Antonio Bereca. That might've been a, that might've been a, uh, Bereca might've been a uh, summer window signing. I don't, I don't remember either way. Um, you know, uh, January has become, yeah. become a little bit more exciting now. Um, I think probably the, one of the most – it started off with we signed Miguel Amaron in January, but since then uh, we've brought in some decent players. Joe Willock was a January loan signing, and then, of course, mm-hmm. we all know about what happened last January with Trippier, Byrne, um, and and Bruno joining as well. Uh, Newcastle were pretty active this January as well. Um, a few outgoings. Uh, I think going into this January, I think there was a lot of people who wanted Newcastle to uh, – and I don't know how to say this without sounding like a douche, but people wanted them to cut dead weight, which I don't really love that term, but that's what people were saying. Get rid of some players who uh, are not playing anymore. Uh, the likes of Matt Ritchie, Ryan Fraser is another name that was on there. Uh, Carl Darlow was on there as well. And mm-hmm. Newcastle did get rid of some players, but it wasn't really players people were expecting. Josh, can you quickly just touch on some of the outgoings? for Newcastle uh, this January. Yeah, yeah. Um, I honestly, so I just tell you the the, the, the names up front. Um, yeah. Wood, right? Chris Chris Wood, yeah. Carl Darlow, and John Joe. Yeah. And, and so Darlow's one that I think you saw that coming when yeah. they decided they wanted to bring um, bring back Dubrovka and then re-sign Karius. And you go, well, something's got to give, right? Um, yeah, and you could and argue Carl that. Darlow the- to be the Darlow thing was, was that was always on the cards. Like it felt like honestly, yeah. since we brought in Dubrovka and Darlow just became a number two keeper that he, his time was, 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 was limited at Newcastle because at some point, if you really care about, you know, really advancing, you want to be a starting keeper. So he's going to have to leave whether it was for the championship or whether he was coming, going to, you know, move to a different premier league club or move to a different league altogether. Yeah, yeah, and it'll be good for it'll be a good move for him. I think it's going to be really good for was it where do you go? Hull City. Yep. Um, I was also the, under the impression Frazier. Uh, I, I don't. I I don't know. Can you confirm Frazier stayed? Believe I was so. Seeing, um, I, was, I know he was. I was there seeing. Was some, yeah, there were some rumors. People, yeah. yeah, there were some rumors definitely around um, as to as to him potentially leaving, um, but. I don't think Ryan Fraser uh, yeah, I don't, going I don't anywhere. Think, I, yeah, he was. I in didn't the, see was, that that was final, yeah, which, is good, videos, which is good. Which is good because, yeah. you know, with John Joe, with John Joe leaving, which honestly was a, was a shock. Um, yeah, you know, I, I I so when we when we talk about dead weight, I really appreciate John Joe Shelby. Seven years at the club, he's a servant. He did when he was on, he was really on. When he was off, he he received heavy criticism. I think. Um, during the Howe era, 
he turned it back on again. He was really capable of, of putting it, putting in a good shift. But unfortunately I think that he's, you know, his hamstrings and his calves and his knees are starting to buckle under, under the weight of, <clears throat> of, of hitting that third decade there. And, uh, you know, I think it's best for him. I was, I was kind of reflecting on the Shelby move today. And I think what it is, is he could have stayed. He could have stayed for six, you know, six more months and, and um, would have left in the summer. But I think this was the time for him to go. And I think the reason is he probably said, hey, look, boss, I need to play. And like, I know that you guys are on an amazing, an amazing journey and Newcastle are going to do big things. But I only have a few years left of playing at the highest level that I can play at. And I need to be out on the field as much as possible. And I could, I could tell you this as, as being a 46 year old man, looking back at it, dude, I could barely, I could barely go for a nice jog without being Mm -hmm. hurt. I would give anything I could, you know, well, almost anything, but I'd give a lot (laughs) to get out there and and run at full speed again. Like I could back in my, you know, my twenties and thirties. Um, and I think Shelby probably saw that and said, I've just got to make the most of these last three or four years, send me somewhere in the prem, but I'll still get a good run out. And I think he can really contribute there at, uh, at, uh, forest. I think he's going to do well. Yeah. Um, and I think, like you said, uh, the, the shock of the, of the window probably definitely was Shelby. Um, I think Chris Wood was honestly, I, I was a little surprised Chris Wood, uh, left just really due to the timing. Like I thought that it's kind of rare you do you get a player in and out within within a year or within two windows so that was an interesting one as well but the Shelby one is is the most shocking uh and like you said it was probably because one it was a position of need we were already thin at central midfielder and uh we'll talk about we'll talk about that uh later on as well and we're we're going to be a little bit thinner for at least the next three matches and so Shelby being close to you know, returning was going to be a big help regardless, uh, especially as, you know, you could play him as a six and, and, and move Bruno up to an eight or just, you know, for pure depth reasons. But, uh, and Eddie Howe alluded to this uh, in his post-match presser, um, you know, part of it was not only the playing time, but with John Joe, there was just a lot of uncertainty with his, his contract. I think if he played two more matches, he would have gotten a year, an automatic year extension, you know, trigger. But, mm-hmm. you know, you got to look at it from his perspective of after that year, like, you know, what's going to happen next January? I mean, I'm going to be a year older. I'm going to still have a laundry list of injuries. Uh, who knows how healthy he would be next year? So I think part of it was there was a club that said, hey, we're willing to commit to you for, you know, at least three or, three or four more years and pay you at the, you know, Premier League wages. And, Honestly, I don't think Newcastle could commit to that or they they or because if right. they had, I mean, Trippier got an extension uh, this week, like literally yesterday. So that being said, like if, if they were going to commit long term to John Joe Shelby and saw him as a player that would be at the club in three to four years or in three years, even as an older player, as an elder statesman, they would have and they didn't. And so and Eddie Howe, uh, he, get, he did a bit of a, a bit a bit of a podcasting. Uh, during the world Mm -hmm. cup break and there was a really interesting podcast but one of them they asked eddie howe about his we we might have mentioned the clips of this interview before but they asked him about you know player development and his thoughts on that and how he's able to do that and his his whole philosophy as a manager is he wants to do what is best for his players and he really wants the players to succeed 
And so he says he would never stand in the way of any player trying to leave. And you've seen that even with the players that Newcastle signed. I mean, we signed Matt Ritchie from from Bournemouth while they were under the leadership of Eddie Howe. And he was one of their best players and he didn't stop him, stop, stop Newcastle at all from from signing Matt Ritchie. And it was the same, you know, to a lesser extent with Ryan Fraser and Callum Wilson and those guys. So all that to say, it was a bit shocking. Um, the last thing I'll do is uh, Shelby. Uh, it was pretty emotional because you have to remember Shelby's been at this club for a while. He was, he was there for the championship grind. He was there for the relegation and, and everything that came afterwards. Seven years uh, as a magpie. So definitely one of the ones that has hurt to uh, one of the one of the transfers that you, you kind of everyone sort of hates to see happen because the player's been there for a while. And so uh, John Joe was present at the match today, did come out at halftime to uh, a standing ovation. I mean, it was great. Uh, I think ESPN Plus had some shots of it. I don't know if Sky did. So if you missed that, it's probably online somewhere. But real quick, John Joe had this to say in his exit sort of statement. I never thought I'd find myself typing this out, but my time to Newca- at Newcastle has come to an end. I would just like to take this opportunity to say thank you to every one of you fans that's welcomed me and my family to the city and to this amazing football club. I've been at Newcastle for seven years, and it's been the most amazing time I've had in football so far. I'll miss the atmosphere so much. I had to take this opportunity for myself. I made so many friends for life on and off the pitch while I was in your great city. Two of my children were born in Newcastle, so the Geordies will, be- will remain part of our lives forever. We have loved every single minute of being at that great club. I have to thank the club for allowing me to go and the manager for being a top, top coach, but more importantly, a top human being. I will miss driving into Benton every day and seeing the lads, but you should all be excited under new owners and the manager. Newcastle is a great place to go and play football, and I've had some ups and downs along the way, but I honestly can say I've had such a great time. I'll miss everyone. I will constantly be supporting Newcastle forever. Once again, I would like to say thank you for everything you guys have done for me at the club and around the city. Keep supporting the team, guys. Once again, thank you and take care. So, I mean, great words. I don't know. It, it's oh, it's class. It's yeah, class. it's great. He's a cla- he is a classy player. He's going to be one of those. We're going to miss him. Yeah, yeah and, and, and in like ten years, yeah. he's going to be like a Warren Barton, like just coming back to the ground and appearing on people's <laughs> podcasts. And, yeah, he's going to be a legend. Like There's a an handful. absolute. Legend. There's a handful I miss. Uh, yeah, so Shola Amiobi, Shola Amiobi is always in my heart. Yeah. Um, he's going to have a place, you know, and, and I think um, John Joe Shelby, uh, you know, war Voldemort, so yeah, <laughs> as you would. For sure. <laughs> All right, and then uh, we got some incoming. So uh, Newcastle, uh, we, we briefly uh, yeah. talked about this last week, but they confirmed the signing of Anthony Gordon. Uh, it was heavily rumored last week. The final number was 40 million pounds with 5 million pounds added on. Uh, 40 million pounds up front, straight cash. So Everton had 40 million pounds with about a week left in the window, and they did absolutely nothing with it. Oh, they're in, they're in disaster. <laughs> they're in shambles. They're in disaster. Uh, th- they're yeah, in disaster. there was an Everton account uh, tweeting out like, uh, Sean Dyche is coming. They hired Sean Dyche as a manager, which yeah. good for them. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> he said, Sean, I, know, actually, I, I, I fear he might save them, which is the worst possible scenario for, for that organization. I go, go on, go on with your goal. I just, yeah. I mean, I was just, they, they were reporting that Sean Dyche like made the players match uh, 
you know, their their tops in, in training and wear shin guards. And that was news because apparently that wasn't being done before. But anyway, uh, we signed Anthony Gordon uh, for Everton, uh, I think in 2021 or maybe it might have been even 2020. But I'm, I think it was 2021. He won Everton Young Player of the Year, uh, you know, for the club. So loads of potential. Uh, I think he's either 21 or 22. He's or just turned 22. So very young, uh, definitely played, paid a little bit of an English tax, seven goals and 78 appearances. And it's one of those where, again, uh, you, you are paying for a potential. Uh, I think we briefly discussed this in the last pod. He fits the Eddie Howe mold for an attacker. Uh, he's he's very fast. He's one of the fastest players in the Premier League, which is absurd. Uh, well, he's clocked one of the fastest speeds in the Premier League. And, uh, he, you know, very just, I don't know, he's going to fit in with the shithousery uh, the, in the intro video they had uh yeah. Uh, Jason Tindall <laughs> introduced him as a uh, as as someone who's ready to finish the fight to Karen Trippier and then he to Fabian Share and they were giving him a hard time and all that kind of stuff. So he'll fit in, I think, culture wise. But oh, Josh, what's your your thoughts on bringing in Anthony Gordon to bolster the attack? Yeah, we talked about this. Yeah. We talked about this a little bit last spot. And he's one of those guys where you hate to play against him, but you love him on your team. Yeah, and I think we're going to end up liking him. I think. um you know, he's just, he's got a mug only a mother would love. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. He'll, he's... He'll, he'll, he'll fit in. Um, Ashby, or, well, Gordon, Gordon 20, uh, 21, according to Wikipedia, and Ashby mm-hmm. also 21. So, um, and I know you, we'll get to that next, but I just thought, you know, we're, tr- we're trading out, you know, Wood and Darlow and Shelby. These are guys that are hitting um, the end of their careers. They've got a couple years left, each of them, uh, you know, give or take three, four, whatever it may be. But, you know, let's just assume that Gordon can put in seven years time side. He would be hitting his prime. Yeah. If he stayed for seven years, like we were just kind of talking about these transfers into the women's team. They're going to, not only are they going to take us up a notch, but, but the club is going to grow with, you know, the club's going to grow with him and he's going to grow in the club. And I think if, if the front office and if Howe sees that there's quality in Gordon, if he's got the pace, if he understands what's going on, and honestly, we'll get to it as well. But if he can play a little bit, you know, of that Swiss Army knife, um, you know, will we get our midfield settled? <laughs> yeah, that's going to be very useful. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, Gordon does have the ability to play across the front three. Um, there were plenty of time, not plenty of times. There were some times uh, where. He- he was deployed even as a number nine when Everton were, were very desperate, but definitely see him playing either, either wing. And if Newcastle choose to go with some formations that may include a central attacking midfielder, he would, he would slot in right there. But again, you're paying for potential here. I think that is the, the obvious bit, uh, but we'll see. And, and again, uh, I, I trust Eddie Howe to get the best out of a player. Uh, we've seen this already with, players who we saw flashes of brilliance. We saw flashes of Miguel Amaron playing well, but now we've seen it, seen everything kind of be put all together. And that, that came under Eddie Howe and same with Joel and like there were flashes of him doing really well. Every so often there was a, a random cup match where he had a really good match or, or a, a league match where he had a good match, but just no goal to show for it. So we've seen it happen before. So I, I trust it. Then we have Harrison Ashby coming in from West Ham. Uh, that's on a three million pound deal. Uh, this one was one where you could tell it was a good signing because a lot of West Ham fans were really upset about it. Uh, they they yeah. honestly believed that he should have been 
starting over some of their current options, but he is a right back who will be the understudy to Kieran Trippier, who uh, of course just signed that extension, but it isn't getting in any younger. And what there, there's probably is no better player in, in England right now to learn from underneath. Like if you're a right back, then, then Kieran Trippier. Do you imagine coming to work and Kieran Trippier is like, he's your supervisor. Yeah. That's like, you know, <laughs> exactly. Hey, kid, let's get some shit done. Yes, sir. <laughs> I'm a clock in. Let's get that going. No, that's very ex- I'm excited to see these two young guys, these young bucks come in. Um, uh, you know, hopefully they can make an impact. We're going to need some help um, as, as we hit the stretch here, uh, you know, with these bodies out, especially ones like Shelby and Wood that we weren't necessarily expecting to go. And and some, you know, uh, Raji, who we were hoping would go, I mean, bless him, I, I appreciate um, Richie's time in the squad, but, like, he's not really contributing. The last time I saw him play was in that cup match, and he did not look good. Um, <laughs> so, he, you know, and he had some moments, but honestly, like, I think most of the game happened to him. He didn't happen to the game, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's good to see these young. But I will I will tell you, uh, um, and I'm sure that we're, we'll get to, you know, this probably next. I, I don't think we brought in enough. And I don't and I don't think I'm alone in that sentiment. I think that we, before the Shelby move um, and before the Wood move, I felt, and we were talking about this for the last 30 days in the last few episodes, we were looking at like what we needed to bring in. And we had gone through a list of possibilities, plausibilities, and unlikelies. We, you know, and, and we keep being told by mainstream media, we keep being told by our friends that are Liverpool or, or Arsenal supporters, um, how much money Newcastle has. We keep being reminded of that. Um, you know, and things are things look rosy, like we're third, we're third in the table, maybe, you know, maybe fourth, you know, in a week or so, maybe, you know, maybe we keep that third, I don't know. But I didn't see from the front office, um, a sense of urgency to fight for that position. And I don't feel I felt they brought in two good bodies that will really help out next year. But I don't think they brought in two impact players that will push us into that top three spot. You know, it's going to it's going to be up to the rest of the team to keep us where we're at. But I, we didn't bring in a game changer. Yeah, uh, we'll see with Gordon. I think Gordon is a system, a product of a terrible system. So you kind of hope that if he's give if he's in the right system or if he's in a better situation that, you know, you don't want to say winning cures all, but. I I I have I I genuinely believe he's going to make an impact this this uh in the next in the next couple not next couple weeks but next few months but I would agree I don't okay. think Ashby is is a player who's going to uh really help us tremendously in the immediate I think what it's looked like to me is there are a list of targets and they are targets that have been identified by Nixon and Ashworth and Howe, and there are certain names, and Newcastle are committed to getting those individual names, and if those names are not available for that window, they are holding out for the summer or waiting to, to or they're holding out for the next window or whatever. We saw the same thing happen with Botman. Botman was linked to us in January. Didn't happen. Didn't happen, and then 
you know, instead of instead and, and Newcastle went to their second choice to for, for cover and all that stuff, but instead of just completely moving on from the player, they revisited that same player in the summer and then got a deal done. So I think that the ownership or, or the, the front office is taking the route of we don't want to be bullied into overpaying for a player we want, but we also don't want to be bullied into paying for a player that we don't really have that high on our personal list as well. And so whether or not it's a lack of mm-hmm. urgency, I think it's still up in the cards. I think their perspective is we are ahead of schedule of what we want. And just because we're ahead of schedule doesn't mean we need to change what we wanted to do in our five, six, seven, ten year plan. Mm. And I think that's okay. it's very hard. It's very easy to lose sight of that because right now what we as Newcastle fans see is wow, we are in a, in a top place and blah, blah, blah. And let's, let's, let's think back to the last time Newcastle were in this position where I want to say we finished fifth in one of the part of years. And the next season was an absolute mess because yeah. we finished there and we just did not have the depth to, to really stay competitive, stay competitive and remain in that spot. And I think what's going on here is that I think the ownership will not see it as a failure of Newcastle finished 10th next season if they, after finishing in fifth this year, because for them, what they see, what they're, they're gauging their success on is in four years, do we have a complete squad that is one younger than the squad we have now two all full of players with decent potential and three, like consistently competing. And that's the thing. It's consistently yeah. competing. And this season has been a weird season for a number of reasons. So I, I hold I, I I'm a bit hesitant to to go all in on is Newcastle really as good as the table says because I mean I I think that they are a really good team but we have to remember Liverpool are this is a, one of the worst Liverpool seasons in in recent memory it's probably one of the worst Chelsea seasons in recent memory yeah. Spurs look terrible and these are teams that usually and, and I say Spurs look terrible in there. <laughs> They're right behind us, but uh, these are teams that are usually very, like, consistently very good teams, and that's that keyword is consistently. So, all that to say, yeah. I, I would agree. Like, I think we didn't do enough to strengthen in order to secure top four this season, but I also think that wasn't the goal of this window. I think the goal of this window was, hey, are there players who we want? Like, Anthony Gordon's been a, a name that was linked to us for a while. Is there, is there, is there, are there players we want, and can we get them for? what we think is a good deal. And I think what Newcastle saw with Anthony Gordon is Chelsea couldn't get Anthony Gordon for 60 million pounds this past summer. He became available in January for 20 million pounds less. And they said, well, this is a guy we have high on our list. He may not be the guy we need right now, but when else are we going to get him for 40 million pounds? Because again, that's true. If Everton stay that's up, true. if Everton stay up and again, it's a big if, but you don't want to leave things. That's to chance. A big if Everton if. saved up, stay up. Anthony Gordon's not available in the summer. He's just not. Or if he is, he's 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 now an 80 million pound buy. And I think that's that's what we have to remember. And Harrison Ashby's another name. We tried to get him in, in the summer and West Ham weren't selling. And now we reassessed and said, oh, well, West Ham, you clearly this guy, like at the time it was Ashby was maybe a player who could make his way into the first team. But now it's very clear that for better or for worse, whether the fans agree with it or whether you know their management agrees with it or not, he's clearly not one of the top three fullbacks, right back, left back, whatever you want to play him. He's not. He's not in that. He's not in that rotation at all for West Ham. So they felt willing to to sell him. And again, it was a player that's been on the list. 
player they've scouted, they feel confident will add to the club that wasn't available in the summer. And they said, okay, well, we're going to reassess in January. Is the player available now? Um, but yeah, so that's what I think on that. And I think the last thing uh, that really is, is something to hammer home is that I think, it, it, again, I don't want to be too chatty on this, but there is, there is part of, part of it is that there, there are players that we have wanted for a while and have been close to getting a deal done for a while. Connor Gallagher is probably the the player I, it, it, you would, I would, I would say is who they tried out here. They tried, they tried, they tried. They tried. Yeah. You, you cannot like, it's like, I, I love like, again, there was a sense of urgency, but they tried with Telemans. What like was not, was not available. They tried with Madison. People were mad about Madison, but then we found out today that Manchester city are looking at doing a summer suit for, for, for Madison. So it's like if Madison probably wasn't available because Madison knew that, in the summer, he's going to have plenty of chubs, clubs to choose from if he chooses to move it from Leicester. Same with Tielemans. So there was, there was not, there was, there was, they were, they were trying and trying for particular targets, but they just weren't available. And part of it was that we are now considered contenders. Again, whether whether it's an earned title, earned title or not, we're in that we're in we're we're seen yeah, as rivals. But it's funny, it's, you know, it's funny though that Chelsea will say that and they'll turn around and sell half their squad to Arsenal. Right. Yeah. And again, so there's, yeah. there's this, it's their London, direct London rival and a team that is actually going to probably win the, the league this year and they'll sell Jorginho to them, but yeah. they won't budge on a player to us. And it's, to me, I think that's ridiculous. I think, I think that it's not going to be just an English tax. I think there's going to be some, some, um, some oil money tax. I think that teams are going to think that we have the dollar sign. They're going to have dollar signs in their eyes and they think that they can charge more or they're going to wait for a higher offer. But I don't think that higher offer is coming. Everything I see this organization do is as you, as you alluded to, or have you just said, it's, it's thought out, it's planned well, um, assess and reassess and set a price, a price limit. This is my budget for this player in this position. I refuse to exceed that amount and I will move on to a similar player for this position because they're looking for system players, not big names. And yeah. I, I, you know what? Usually I'm pretty calm and collected when we talk about this stuff. And I came at you like Luke Skywalker wanted to go to Tashi Station <laughs> and get a power yeah. converter. But you, you came back at me like Yoda. You're like, oh, calm down, calm down. Yeah, we're good. Yeah, and, and you can you can go down the list. Diego Carlos... Oh, Sevilla wanted X, Y, Z out. We said no, moved on. Sven Botman, João Pedro from uh, Watford. They wanted like 70, 80 million pounds from this. We said no, ended up waiting again for another target. We had set earlier in the summer, Isak, who initial asking price was, was, you know, 75, 80 million pounds. That price came down. We got him in 60 million pounds. So I think, you know, they can try this all they want, but there's a pattern. And if you are, if, and that will spread, like if I'm noticing it, agents are going to notice it and other teams are going to notice it. Of if Newcastle's coming to the table and they have an offer, you can, you can play hardball if you want, but just know that they will walk away from the table because they have other options. And again, if you do business with them, you know, you're going to get paid. So <laughs> you like Everton yeah, is that's proof the thing, of that. Right? No, yeah. You know, uh, every single one of Chelsea, I mean, they've spent, you know, 500 million pounds since this past summer, which is absurd. But majority of those are installments over years and years. And again, I don't know. I mean, it's, it, it, we'll see. So overall grade for a January window, what, what, what would you give it? Um, God, after all that big discussion, look, the players themselves, I think that though, I, 
Mm. I think they'll find their they'll find their role. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted one more. I wanted one more, especially if they were going to let Shelby go. I think they needed to bring in a midfielder. I'm going to give this. I'm going to give this like a B minus. Just yep. uh, just because I think that you're right. I think you're right. They got a couple of bodies in that are good for the future. I think you're right that the future is is the plan. But I think also with what went out and where we're at, sometimes you have to react, um, especially with a cup final looming. I just feel like sometimes you have to look at the situation and go, okay, we weren't planning on this level of success, but it's hitting us in the face. And we don't always have the chance to win a cup final. And we might not always have a chance to finish in, in a top three position. Let's grab, you know, let's, let's grab the bull by the horns and sign one more game changer. So, I mean, that's, I feel B minus. I feel B minus. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I, I would say B minus for me as well. I think the sense of urgency came last January when Newcastle were in the relegation zone and they made, again, I think the only unsmart signing, and I don't even know if it was unsmart, was was Chris Wood because you could argue Chris Wood, you know, is one of oh he got us Chris through. Wood. Touch Wood, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, one of one of the reasons we we stayed up, and then you know one of the reasons Burnley went down. So even then, that was still a very calculated signing. So yeah, I would agree. Mm-hmm. I think you want to see a sense of urgency, and I think with the midfielder thing, it was there, but the market for sixes has been absurd uh thinking i mean the thinking about all the all the different you know sixes that were i wouldn't say available but were were hot names like Caicedo, which again brighton is another one that they they decide when they want to sell someone he straight oh, up yeah. put in a oh, published we didn't even talk about this he was a player newcastle were interested in and so was everyone else but he straight up put a uh Sort of put out a uh, Instagram post saying he w- he was ready to leave Brighton, and they still didn't sell him. They said they were like, "We're sticking to eighty million pounds. If you want to give us eighty million pounds from," and they signed his replacement this window. So, uh, so we'll see. I think that that's the tough <laughs> thing for me is that this was a tough market to to get a six. There were some there were mm-hmm. some players in which you know I don't even know if they're on Newcastle's radar, but I think. You know, you could have you could have potentially gotten him in like a Weston McKinney on loan for Leeds. I think that's going to be a really good move for them. And I think you know, getting a guy like that, like Wes, who has played as a six before, you know, has that defensive milder, midfielder mindset, but also is a, a box box eight, similar to Joe Willock, that can kind of rotate out on onto a, a, a sort of a wide mid wide midfielder position if you need. Like that would have been a good signing to look at. So I, it's one of those where I don't know how long the 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 list of targets was for Newcastle but it did feel like once we went through our list of targets we were like all right well we're not getting a central midfielder this window even though we need one and so we'll see if that means mm-hmm. Elliot Anderson plays more or if that means that uh you know Sean Longstaff are playing a little bit more at the six and well he will for the next mm-hmm. three matches because of what happened <laughs> in the match mm-hmm. earlier uh Newcastle one against Southampton uh, in the EFL Cup semifinal, the second leg uh, was a cracking matches, as as the the folks say. <laughs> but uh, they won two one uh, and ended up winning on aggregate three one. Sean Longstaff with the brace, which is not a, a sentence that I thought I would say. Well, um, no, he hasn't scored for four years. So to get a brace in one match is well done to the lad, you know? Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, I don't even think we need to say who the player of the match is. But yeah, Sean Longstaff was unreal for the whole match. And then Che Adams scored for Southampton. Uh, mm-hmm. Real quick, 
I just just give me give me a quick like three. I mean, I don't want to say give me a three word summary, but before we get into nitty gritty, just what were your initial thought after the the final whistle blew? A game of two halves. Mm-hmm. A game of two halves. So li- quite literally for me, because I listened to the first half on BBC Northeast Radio using the phone app for New- Newcastle's website, and um, and then. It dawned on me about at the midway point. I was like, oh, snap. I probably could be watching this on ESPN. (laughs) So I swapped over and watched the second half, but missed the first half. So it was a game of two halves. Um, Yeah. Same for me. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I thought for the opposite, I watched the the first half. I was going to say it was the mirror of your experience. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, I felt like they, and and quite literally, uh, if you're familiar with St. James's Park, uh, there's a, you know, there's a legendary slight incline, decline, a, a bit of a hill. And I think, and I think traditionally, um, they like to play up the hill in the first half. Um, so then that way they got fresh legs and they're sort of literally attacking uh, downhill in the second half. And it's not, I don't know. I, I mean, I've never been there. I've never taken, uh, you know, a, a measurement of the, the grade of the, <laughs> of the incline. But if that's, if that's the sentiment, that's the sentiment. And I think that there was a change immediately before kickoff and they switched directions. Um, and so the first half felt like they were rampant. They felt like they were literally running downhill at Southampton. And I mean, within the first four minutes is, uh, you you know, you get the first, you get first chance, I think within the first two minutes and, and and it didn't Mm -hmm. take, didn't take Longstaff. What more than five minutes, eight minutes, five, well, five minutes to score. But I mean, within eight minutes, I think he had three shots on goal, one, one goal, three shots on goal. Um, he had, he had some sizzlers in there too. I mean, they just, I don't know what happened. That kid, his pants were on fire. Yeah, I mean, I think part of it, like, I mean, there, there's a post-match interview with him and, and Dan Byrne, and it's, if you have the time, I want to say, I'm sure Sky posted the full interview, but it it meant more to them. Like, they are they are Jordy boys through and through, and so uh, it was cool to see that this, how much this meant to, to them. Uh, Sean Longstaff, I think, is... He's he's the same age as me, so again, he doesn't remember mm. the last time Newcastle went to a cup final. Dan Burns a, a few years older than him, so he might have remembered the last time Newcastle went to an FA Cup. But this is what you dream about as a kid. You're playing for your boyhood club, and I mean, you're playing in the match. And Sean Longstaff scored the two goals that secured Newcastle going to the final. So I mean, give him the captain's armband for the final. Honestly, just just for just for the Cinderella oh, stories, man. we can make we can make the uh, the Disney film in, in ten years. But yeah, uh, it definitely meant a lot to to the boys. Uh, real quick, let's go through the lineups. Uh, New- Newcastle went with an unchanged lineup, which was interesting to say the least. I think Josh and I both mentioned this on the last podcast and again uh apologies for how that one how that one ended up we just sometimes files get corrupted it happens um yeah but yeah uh they went with an unchanged 11 we thought they would rotate it because asm and isak came on and and were really good uh last week but uh nonetheless unchanged 11 pope trippier chair botman burn longstaff bruno willock almiron wilson jollinton and honestly I'm not going to lie. It it actually was probably the right decision because uh, for the first half, I mean, Newcastle were, were completely dominant. And real quick, oh, I'll yeah. hit the Southampton lineup. They went with this uh, kind of 
went with this back five type situation uh, with Bazunu and goal, Salisu, mm-hmm. uh, Jean Bet Benaric, I cannot ever say his name, Leonjo, uh, Bree, James Ward, Palace Diallo, Alcaraz, Kyle Walker Peters, Shea Adams, and Adam Armstrong got the start against his boyhood club. So, uh, all that to say, uh, let, let's just. Let's just talk through the match. Uh, like you said, uh, Newcastle dominated early and and got some shots on target. Eventually led to a Sean Longstaff goal off a Kieran Trippier assist. He scored, and I I, I almost dropped my coffee. I was making a midday coffee. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I wonder how the call was for on on the radio side for you, Josh. It was the, it was John Anderson is always just so so big. He's so much. He's got so much energy. Um, it was fantastic. I was sitting in our conference room, um, actually going over um, the Andy Cole biography as I work on his piece still. And I was just jotting down some notes while I was listening to the match. And all of a sudden, just John, John Anderson explodes. And and they do. I think Matthew Raysbeck is sort of the play-by-play, and John, John Anderson is the color. And um, and the play-by-play, you know, Raysbeck is like, you could hear his decibels increasing with every... <laughs> every step forward and you know and the da 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 and then just John Anderson explodes ah, and you know and like my books kind of I like my arms jut out and, and knock stuff off my desk so it was really exciting and uh it just it sounded so much fun on the radio I'll tell you watching it's one thing and but listening to those guys it's it's amazing yeah, the best thing to do is that it was when you combine it and you get the NUFC highlights oh. where you get their radio call and the goal, and it's like, oh, I wish every match was like this. Uh, I would pay for a Newcastle, like, again, it won't happen, but I would pay for a Newcastle uh, stream with the radio call. Uh, but uh, you know how it is, Premier League. Uh, you, so, you yeah, just, my friend. yeah, and, and again, summarize the goal real quick. Uh, Bruno had the ball in the midfield. Uh, beat a few players, played it out to Trippier. Trippier cut inside and laid it off for Longstaff, who, who, you know, hit it first time and and, and he scored. It's a pretty solid goal. Uh, and again, it was great. I think St. James is erupted. Uh, it was incredibly loud. I think at that moment, people. Uh, it, I think at that moment was when it started to sink in for everyone that we were probably going to a final Southampton don't really score a lot of goals and we don't really concede a lot of goals. So if you score at least one goal, you feel pretty solid about your chances of advancing with the one goal lead. So all that to say, uh, like, like Josh said, uh, pressure continued to pile on Sean Longs. have had a couple other opportunities and uh, he then scored again <laughs> at, at the, at just a few minutes later, honestly. Um, and, in yeah. the, I want to say the 21st minute. And I, I don't know if you saw, I mean, I don't know if you got a chance to watch this goal, Josh, but the buildup in it was absolutely brilliant. I mean, it was, it had featured Joe Willick and Joe, Joe Ellington playing some nice one twos to, to progress the ball up the pitch down that left-hand side. Uh, and then, uh, mm-hmm. then be, beating, I think Joe Willick is the one who beat his man uh, off the dribble, dribble, dribbled into the box, Played it in Almeron, who was crashing the box from, I mean, I don't know. He was in the middle of the pitch somehow, crashing the box. And he then uh, turned and played the ball right out to Longstaff, who was wide open, and and he scored. And at that moment, I think it really, really sunk in. That's when I started getting 
congratulations oh, yeah. text that was an from, ag- from fans. That was an aggregate 3-0, right? Yeah, that's so, an aggregate 3-0. So, so it, it it would take a lot for Southampton to, yeah. to come back. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I mean, that that I don't know. Say something, Josh. I don't know. <laughs> oh, I mean, I was in, I was in, I was in heaven um, until Willick goes from hero to zero, right? And he plays that mm-hmm. bad back pass, and and Shea Adams picks up that bad back pass, and um, God, that was a nice finish from him, though, wasn't it? And yeah, that it was, was a, I think it, it it was a dagger into the heart too, because here we are mentally, we're like, you know, like Olay, you know, we're like Olaying in our mind. I'm like. Listening yeah. to this match, I'm like, oh, this this can't get any better. Are they going to score three, four? Like, what what's going on? What kind of match is this going to be? And there was a quick reminder that this is also one of the top teams in England. And yeah, they may be down on their luck right now in the league, but um, they've got nothing to lose in this you know this match. They're already down, so they're just going to you know they're going to do their best to stay in it. And uh, I went back and watched the highlight of the Shea Adams goal, and it was yeah. just a. Um, you know, and, and, and Pope hadn't given up a goal in a very, very long time. So, yeah. um, all, all, you know, all, all praise due to, to Shea Adams and his, and his, um, his good, his, his great finish there. But Joe, I want to say it was like, up is a, I was going to say, I want to say it was like, uh, almost like over four or five hours of, 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 of game time yeah. since Pope had given up a goal. So he was due and it was honestly, I'm not mad because it was during the cup. So mm. it's like, you know, think about it. I mean, it doesn't affect any of his Premier League goalkeeping records. Like, he's still on pace to to win Golden Glove. It's still on pace to, you know, be in the conversation for. I don't know if there's a keeper of the oh, year award. I mean, Bruno <laughs> would tell you he's still the greatest keeper in the world. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, kind of moving into the second half, I, I watched. I, I'd say I think before I had to leave to to go do work. Um, I watched up to about the 60th minute. Like I saw the subs come on and I will say this and you can kind of let me know if this was the case. Southampton came out a little bit, looking a little bit sharper in the second half for sure. They made some changes, uh, a little bit of formation mm-hmm. shift and, and really got a little bit more of the ball created a little bit more, ha- had some more quality with their chances. And Newcastle sat back a little bit, a little bit wasteful, definitely felt like we were trying not to concede uh, instead of just playing, yeah. you know how we did in the first half. I think you, Newcastle had an opportunity to really, I mean, there were to really deliver a knockout punch if they'd come out as strong as they did in the first half. But uh, that didn't seem to be the case in the second half. No, and and I feel like so when I made the switch and started watching, I almost switched back to the radio just because in my you know in my bad luck and my impacting form here, <laughs> I felt like yeah they were now they looked like they were running uphill and not running. They were just sort of, you know, <clears throat> they had their moments and there was some good interplay between the players themselves. But you can even tell you uh, you get to the 73rd minute and there's a big chance for Armstrong, right, um, uh, to there's a pass right up the middle and Armstrong collects and turns and uh, Pope comes out and saves it. But it was almost like a wake up call because that was way too easy. Um, Armstrong was well onside and they could it could have easily have been um, twos at that point. And then that's different. Now they've got, I don't know if away, do away goals count in this? Because if they did, then they would have had a two goals to one away, um, you know, away lead. I don't know if away goals would have counted, but we would have been been put into a position where we had to score again, again, you know, um, 
it didn't happen that way. But there was another shot in the 75th minute, and I just felt like, and then there was another big shot in the 79th minute. Um, oh, no, this one was by Bruno, right? But but he missed that. I think he was coming from right to left across uh, across the pitch, and he took that left foot and tried to curl the ball in. And he, you could look. There were signs of frustration on Bruno's face. And I think he might have been getting pushed around a little bit. Things might not have been going his way because he was super influential in the first half. But in the second half, it just wasn't seeming to go his direction. I think maybe he was getting pushed off a little bit. Um, and within 60 seconds, he has a really bad challenge on, was it a, a, a doze? I, th- I believe so. I think. Yeah. Um, and just at, at first, at first sight, you think, okay, well he just won the ball. Um, but when they went to slow-mo and they, and you know, then they went to VAR to look at this and they went slow motion and looked at it. He completely missed the ball and he just absolutely like it, it, it could have been, he could have broke this kid's leg. Um, yeah, it was bad. <clears throat> yeah, but to be fair, okay. To be fair, that kid was running like an erratic newborn fawn. And he was just like, <laughs> what was he doing with his long legs? Just waving his leg out there. Like he's playing hokey pokey, you know? Yeah. And and I know, you know, ultimately I know slow motion makes things look funny and he's probably just trying to change direction, but God, he had those long skinny legs just waiting to get snapped out there. Um, but yeah, Bruno, Bruno gets the red and Bruno gets sent off and it's just a dang, it's a shame. Yeah. That's uh, to be fair. That's how Isak looks when he runs. Like you're just like this. I, it scared me when we heard. <laughs> antelope. Yeah, yeah. That was my <laughs> biggest concern. And I think we talked about that. Is yeah. He looks fragile. He looks fragile, but I mean, he's, mm-hmm. I don't know. He, he, uh, he, he's been fine so far, but uh, yeah, outside of the Bruno challenge, nothing else really of, of crazy significance. Uh, I think the free mm-hmm. kick after that, uh, well, actually, I mean, free kick after that. Although was, there uh, was a, there was like there 10 was one minutes of extra. Had. Yeah. It was a crazy yeah. amount of extra time. So yeah, James Ward. And, and Isaac got hit in the face with the ball. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was, there were, there was that stuff where like, Isak got hit in the face in the ball there. James Ward-Prowse had a free kick, smacked the wall, mm-hmm. completely destroyed Isak, and then he was down again uh, where he got hit in the face with the ball. And then at the tail end of it, uh, Southampton had one more chance, uh, but uh, I think it was into uh, – it might have been Lavia, uh, and he just skied the, the – it was it, – he should have scored, but he, he skied it. So, Yeah. Again, eleven minutes of of stoppage time, actually. But once once it once it ended, it was all it was like the scenes in St. James's were insane. I'm sure uh, our our Jordy, our local Jordy guy, uh, Graham, is going to have plenty of mm. stories. I hope he writes something on. It. He's he's a really good writer, and he usually does really well with like emotional pieces. So I'm curious to see if he's going to write anything about the emotions he's feeling as a lifelong Newcastle supporter, literally since probably birth. And uh, I don't know, he's, he's a good dude uh, and ge- like generations of Newcastle fans. So uh, with, with, within his family, but yeah, I don't know, Josh, any uh, closing thoughts on, on, on this match, how it ended? Are you excited to be in a cup final? Oh, like I said, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would love to actually go, I would actually love to fly to London and go catch this match. Um, you know, what's funny is that I think a lot of my friend, I have friends here that are Liverpool supporters or Arsenal supporters. Um, I know a couple of Spurs supporters. I heaven help their soul. Um, 
and they you know they'll imply that the carabao cup or this this cup isn't a big deal right um it is a big deal it's a big deal um because this is a team that hasn't been in one in a very long time and tomorrow's other semifinal i mean as you're listening to this probably a day after i'm not quite sure but you know with manchester united playing against um forest uh, is a good chance United's going to win that match, but Forrest still has a chance. And, mm-hmm. and this, and, and, you know, and just uh, imagine if Forrest has the game of their life and they get into the final, you've got two teams that haven't been in a cup final in a very long time. This is a big deal. This isn't a big deal to, to city. This isn't a big deal to Liverpool, you know, but this is a big deal to these clubs that have waited yeah. a long time to be relevant. Yeah. Yeah, and I, it for sure. I think it's it's a big deal to any team that's not you know traditional Premier League powerhouse when they make this final. It's a big deal to them. I also would argue that every team left, it's a big deal for them. I mean, if you're Forest, it, it definitely is a big deal if they make the final for sure, uh, especially given uh, their return to the Prem and then also just the amount of ridicule they had for their transfer window the, the, in the summer. And this would be a giant middle finger to everyone if Forrest it went really on and, and won the cup, like or made the cup final. Because, yeah, they made a lot of signings, but as the team gelled, like they they're starting to look decent again. the The relegation race is still alive and well, and they're not completely out of it. But they seem to be starting to string some decent performances together. And then, of course, Manchester United. You know they've they've had they've made a few cup finals in the past few years, but. They've they've lost a few, so winning a cup of any kind for them would be would be immense. And I think for them, their aim of potentially finishing in the top four and uh, and w- maybe winning Europa League and then potentially also winning this cup, I think you have to look at that as a Manchester United fan and and be excited for the future of that club and and be pleased with that season. So I think the, the whatever team wins this cup i think their fans will be delighted with that result and will not treat this as the energy drink cup or the uh well it's not it the the papa john's trophy is the other is the is the other is the the johnson (laughs) c paint smith whatever it is that that cup not that cup but but yeah anyway uh all i say i think it's a big deal and i'm excited for newcastle i'm excited to to watch this cup final even if it is only on espn plus which is boo um Maybe maybe one day ESPN will care about soccer again. Maybe. Maybe. Who knows? Oh, man. But I don't get it ESPN. I get ESPN Plus. So this really works out for me. Yeah, it works out for you. If, if we make the FA Cup final, I will give you my ESPN login. And you could watch it on ESPN or ABC whenever whenever that happens. Very well. Very well. So next year. Sounds I'll, good. I'll give you my, my login. Well, really, my dad's cable login. Uh yeah, we uh, lols. Yeah, come on, lols. Yeah, come on. it helps when you have old school parents that believe in cable. All right, um, player of the match for you. Uh, I, I mean, for me, it's Sean Longstaff. I don't know if you've got anyone yeah. different. It's not. Yeah, it's yeah. He's he had the game of his life, um, and I hope he <laughs> yeah. has a few more of those in him this year. Yeah, same. Uh, and we will need it because, of course, the big news with Bruno. With the red card, he's going to be out for the next three matches in, in English mm-hmm. competition. So I know some people were asking, will he be out for the uh, the final? He will not be because by the time the final comes, we would have played three English matches. But that does mean he's going to be out for three 
pretty, I mean, in terms of the top four race, pretty important matches, uh, just given how the teams are. We've got to come up and play West Ham, uh, and we're going to talk about that in a second. We've got to play West Ham next, who they're a formidable side still. Bournemouth, you know, should be a winnable match, and then Liverpool. So he's going to miss those three matches, which is not ideal if you are a uh, a Newcastle fan because dropped points at this stage are, are not the move. So we, we, you you right. want to walk away with all of those from all of those with a winner draw, ideally three wins in a row to just keep pace with everyone and maybe gain some gain gain on 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 Man City or, or Arsenal in case they drop points. But yeah, that's going to suck. <laughs> I wonder if John Joe was sitting in the stands when when Bruno got that red card. And he's like, oh, nuts! <laughs> it's like, I would have played. Uh, yeah, that would have triggered a year long extension for him. Uh, he would have started the next two matches. All right, uh, yeah. like uh, like we talked about in the last pod, I don't really care about ad revenue, so we're just gonna get right into the West Ham preview because I'm not adding in an ad. Um, cool. We're, Newcastle are playing West Ham this weekend. Uh, should be an exciting match for us. Sure, why not? Uh, like we yeah. just, like we just said, Bruno will be missing that match due to red card suspension. Matt Target is he's he's pretty close to being healthy, so that'll be nice whenever he's healthy again. Uh, and Emil Kraft is of course still out for West Ham. Danny Ings is out. Skamaka mm-hmm. is out. I cannot say his name. Uh, Kurt Zuma, Gianluca Skamaka. Yeah, Kurt Zuma yeah. may not. And I think uh, Maxwell Cornet is still injured as well. I think he's going to be out till the end of February. So that being said, Newcastle versus West Ham. I think, you know, do you have any lineup predictions for Newcastle? How do we address this issue of Bruno not being available? Mm. Will mm. our front three make a change? Is that going to change? I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on yeah, for, for Newcastle, my big lingering question is, how is Isaac's head? Hmm. Um, it, you know, he did get subbed off with a yeah. with a head head injury protocol substitution, um, and he was up and then he was down again, up and then down again. And to me, that's not a good sign. And that's hmm. a guy that it really depends on how that. If he got a full on concussion, I, I'm not quite sure. I didn't kind of go looking for an injury report, um, but that might not that might not be one that hit. Um, transfermark.com, which is what I look at for injuries and suspensions, and he wasn't listed. So maybe he's okay, but maybe it's, it's you know less than 24 hours, and maybe they're still evaluating his head injury. So um, it remains to be seen. Um, Wilson has not looked like Wilson, and I'm concerned at mm. um, our lack of depth at the at the top. Um, I wonder what the solution the solution might be, and and I don't know. We just play him, you know. I think we just play, just place, just start Wilson and um, yep. let him play his way back into the season. I think is the is the solution. I just don't know what we've right got as, a, as far as back backups go, you know. Yeah, and, I, I would um, agree with that uh, for sure. I think, like you said, you would have maybe if if Isak had not gone down, you would have had a discussion uh, about starting Isak because Isak's looked really good since he's come back. And again, you don't want to give a player an injury-prone label, especially when it comes with a head injury. But it's definitely untimely that, as Wilson is really proven after opportunity after opportunity, that he is just not at the same level of form he was before the World Cup. 
this just would have been this would have been a, a wonderful opportunity for Isak to step in, really claim that starting number nine role for his own and, and hold on to it potentially for the rest of the season. But he might have to wait for that, or he might not. I, who knows? Uh, here's my question for you: Is do you think we get an appearance? from either one of the January signings, Gordon or uh, Ashby. I'm not Gordon saying a start, but yeah. No, I think Gordon makes the 18. I think Gordon makes the 18 right away. I think Anderson, if Anderson's been getting into the 18 for the last few months, I think Gordon steps in. I think he's a big money signing. Um, I think sometimes there's a little bit of pressure to play somebody. How doesn't seem to um, care about pressure. But yeah. I think Gordon um, was playing. I think he was getting regular playing time for Everton, or at least enough so that it wouldn't be uncomfortable for him to slot right into an 18. Ashby, I'm not quite sure. And and part of that is just um, positional depth as well. Um, you know, on, uh, on, on the other hand, you know, it kind of depends on, you know, one of the midfield solutions. We may not, you may not remember this, but Shar can often step up and play a holding or defensive midfield role and sort of play as a shield on the before the back four does mm-hmm. that slide big dan burn back in you know um you know to play as a as a you know as a central defender um and does that you know does that put who who would play i mean if if does that mean um you know, do we get Maddie target back or does that give Ashby an opportunity to get out there and prove himself? You know, there's a lot of movement that can happen based on some of the Swiss army knife capabilities of our players. Um, I don't think it's going to be that extreme. I think Gordon gets in the 18 and Ashby doesn't in the next few weeks, but there's, there's opportunities and it just sort of depends on how it plays out in Howe's mind. Yeah. Uh, I think, uh, you're spot on, uh, Eddie Howe does never he does not feel the need any point to play uh players big money signings. I think it took Bruno four or five matches to get a start because oh, partially Joe Willick was on the run of his life uh last January. But yeah, uh that being said, I think Gord he might make an appearance at the end of the match just to come on, maybe like how Sven Botman mm-hmm. uh in the first match of the season played for like four minutes or whatever. Uh, Ashby, I think you're right. It's a, it's an interesting one. Uh, Javi Mankio has been on the bench uh, the last few matches just because Target's been out as well as uh, as well as Kraft, obviously. So Mankio has been on the bench. Curious to see whether or not he's dropped from the bench. It doesn't seem like he's a player that Eddie Howe wants to keep around long term. I think that's a potential an actual summer outgoing just given his age and he's actually been pretty decent for Newcastle in the grand scheme of things so I, I wouldn't be surprised if Javi Mankio makes a move back to Spain this summer and so I think his time is starting to wind down at Newcastle and I think if if Ashby is named to the the 18 it's because Mankio has been dropped and we kind of see the end of Mankio at Newcastle but yeah if, mm. if we're placing money on if a player is going to play I'd say Gordon potentially plays all right, let's uh, let's hop into the next bit of this uh, preview. Uh, mm-hmm. Little quick stats. Um, I know you've got some stats, but before, uh, well, you might have sure. some stats in history. I I I, I don't know. I don't want to. <laughs> I got all kinds of stuff, man. I got two pages of notes here, so we'll oh, just see what good. happens. Yeah, we'll just see what happens. Okay, uh, just so you all know, for for Newcastle uh, five thirty eight, looking at the old uh, projections, they still got us projected to 
finish in fourth on 39 points uh, behind Manchester United, Man City, and Arsenal. Uh, well, sorry, that's what we have now. They have us finishing with 69 points. I read I read this table wrong. So they have us finishing with 69 points just behind Man United with 71 points and then Ar- Man City with 83 and then Arsenal winning the lead with 87 points. Uh, and for this particular match, they give Newcastle a 60% chance to win, 24% chance to draw, and a 16% chance that they lose this match. Josh, over to you. I'm surprised that the percentage for draw isn't higher. Um, Newcastle in the last five league matches. So this going, this is going all the way back to December 26. Mm-hmm. Um, the three nil win away to Leicester, right? But then New Year's Eve zero zero at home versus Leeds zero zero on January 3rd, away to Arsenal one zero win at home for Fulham and a zero zero away to palace. Now, in that time, as 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 much as like before the World Cup break, we were really excited for their form, and we can praise their defense. So while Newcastle has not given up a goal in the league since November sixth, and only two league goals going all the way back to October sixteenth, they have only won twice in the league since the World Cup break, and have only scored one goal since New Year's Eve. Um, they need to beat West Ham at home this weekend or their league position is going to start to look tenuous. It may start to slip. Manchester United are in really good form. If we've sort of mentioned that they play Forest in the, in the cup semifinal tomorrow, as we mentioned, but then they play palace on Saturday. And um, I think United can go and beat both of those teams. They have the full capability. So if we start to wane and United start to catch on fire and, you know, I mean, we may swippy swappy, we may end up in fourth or even dip to fifth in the next three or four weeks if, if, you know, if we start missing out. So I'm concerned about our ability to score goals. I'm a little surprised that the percentage of uh, the likelihood of us drawing wasn't a little bit higher. Yeah, that is interesting. I mean, 538, uh, that, that's one projection that they don't really explain. I think all the other uh, football projections they kind of explain how they got there but the the match to match uh percentages is one that they i don't know it, it seems to really for for honestly it seems to take into consideration how this team has done for the entire season rather than really look at recent form um is how i've looked mm-hmm. at it of overall mm-hmm. it has certain teams and this is how it's been in the past of like if new regardless of like it doesn't really get into the nitty-gritty about matchups or home or away Typically, well, actually, I guess typically the home team gets a little bit of a bump, but it's it looks at what has the team done overall this season to that to this point, and doesn't really consider current form. But again, I could be wrong. It just it's mm-hmm. not very clear on the site. Uh, any anything else you got uh, stats wise, or or uh, do you want to? Yeah, yeah. Well, I just want to kind of do the same. I want to take a quick look at West Ham here, and then we can mm-hmm. we can get into the other parts of this conversation. Uh, I think this will lead us right into the players um, to watch out for. But West Ham, now they're currently in 16th in the table. Um, they're just one point above the drop, and they have a negative eight goal difference. So maybe this is what kind of what leads those percentages and likelihood mm-hmm. for us to win. Um, they're they have been vastly out of form. It's just their form is inconsistent, and I think Moyes is just doing just enough to keep his job. Um, you know, let's look looking at the last five league matches, um, going back to, um, December 26 for them, they lost one, three at Arsenal. 
Then they lost uh, nil to two at home versus Brentford. Then they drew two two at Leeds. Then they lost away to Wolves. And then they won at home over Everton. And that is what got Lampard sacked. But in that time, they've played a 4-2-3-1, a 3-4-2-1, a 4-3-3, a 4-3-3, and a 3-4-2-1. There doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason, but I'm also not, I mean, David, you know, David Moyes is a, is a Premier League manager, and I'm sure that there's yeah. things that he knows and sees that I have no idea. But they also recently beat Derby and Brentford in those respective cups, played a 3-4-2-1 versus Derby, but a 3-5-2 versus Brentford. And I'm not quite sure what determines those slight switches on the field where he plays as personnel. Um, but in the most recent form, Jared Bowen has scored three goals and Mikhail Antonio's mm. got one and Saeed Benrahma's got two. Um, so he just moves these players all over the place. I think the, I think the front, the front could, you could see Skamaka Antonio, you could see um, Ben Rama or Fornals, or you could see Bowen across that front three. And I don't know what what determines who plays, but I'm pretty sure we're going to see Bowen and at some point Antonio for sure, because those two seem to play an interchange. Um, I just watched the highlights versus Everton, and they did they did really well, and and they kind of like took took turns cropping up inside outside. So that'll be really interesting to watch. Yeah, yeah, that's spot on. I think. You, like you said, led us right into players to watch. I think you you nailed it uh, in terms of West Ham players. I think Bowen's always a player that, that gives everyone trouble. But like you said, he's been on a bit of a tear recently. I do think, like you said, though, the, the consistency point with West Ham has been something that, I don't know, I mean – it, it it's something to maybe exploit. I, I have no idea how to really look at it, but it does seem like the, the teams that they're beating are and teams that they're being competitive with are really just the teams that are, are in and around them. And anyone who, yeah, any, any team that has any semblance of organization, consistency, you know, solid players, like any team that's above eighth right now, they just cannot seem to really break down mm-hmm. or beat. That being said, they did draw. I mean, this is way back in December. They did draw to Fulham and they drew to Leeds. And the Fulham draw is something that I would be a little bit concerned about. I do think Newcastle are not going to give up a goal once again. But I'm with you. I'm a little concerned about the attack. I'm a little concerned about where the goals are going to come from just because, you know, even this match, you know, attack was fine, but you just you I don't know you have to wonder where the goals are coming from and with Wilson not being his full self and uh, Isak potentially being injured the onus is going to be on like you know Joe Ellington and Miguel Amaron mm-hmm. to, to score goals it's going to be in the and, midfield and, and and then the midfield as well and and who knows what the, what this midfield is going to look like uh this week because I, I said Joe Ellington but I mean I, I think this is you you have to start Alan say Maxman. I almost, I almost said Alexander Maxman, but you have to start Alan say Maxman, right? Like I, I don't see how you don't start him. If, if given what we know about, you know, the midfield right now, Bruno's obviously out. So I'm guessing long going to slot into that six role with Joe Ellington and Joe Willock ahead of him. So that's going to be the midfield. So it's time for that extended run in the team for Alan say Maxman. I think that's going to be the love it. Yeah. I, and I think that's going to be the key for Newcastle. This match is, mm-hmm. is all right. How how dangerous can we look at reintroducing Alan St. Maxman into the attack? And it it feels like I mean, uh, and again, the, I'm 
I don't want to use this most recent Southampton match really as a as an example for this because it, it it's not an example of that. But it does feel like he's got his mojo back. He's looking really good. I think he he looked really good uh, in in our last league match. So I don't know. I, I I think it's time to unleash the beast, and then that also puts it puts less pressure on Anthony Gordon to to immediately contribute. If you got Alan St. Max with the playing pretty well uh, down that left hand side, and Miguel Maroon still playing fairly well i mean for all the stuff we talked about for miguel not scoring he still has two or three assists since uh we came back from uh from from the mm-hmm. world cup break so anyway uh and then you got history on here let's 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 get into it i got a little bit yeah yeah i did want to say i think i think uh, if i'm looking at the way that moy set up against arsenal the he did set up an on four two three one and that's against a team that he thought would score and if he thinks if moy thinks that possibly we're going to put a couple goals if he if he's trying to um counter you know the attacks of of miggy and maybe he assumes asm is going to be in then i'm expecting maybe a 4-2-3-1 right so he's just going to sort of sit back with a double pivot and sort of uh, cover cover his his back four he's headed they're headed up to st james for this one right we you know what else is interesting it just to just to point out because it's a fun mm-hmm. fact um West Ham, our first West Ham match is the one that got postponed. So we have not played them yet this year. Oh yeah, that's um, a good point. And yeah. I think, and I think we still have to play them again. So this might be a really interesting. Uh, you know, we might have to play them again within the next eight weeks. We'll see. We'll see how the you know, you know how the schedule works out. But um, historically, um, we have fifty-eight. This is from the eleven v eleven website. Versus West Ham, Newcastle United has 58 wins, 39 draws, 43 losses all time. We won the very first ever meeting 2-0 with a brace from big number nine Bill Appleyard at St. James's Park in front of 47,285 fans on the 1st of February, oh. 1908. 1908. Hmm. That's the first time we played them. Uh, the lineup was Jimmy Lawrence in goal, Bill McCracken at fullback, Dick Putin at left back, Alex Gardner at right half. I'm sorry. What? No. 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 <laughs> yep. Dick P-U-D-A-N. Putin. Dick Putin. Oh, oh man. That that oh, sounds like brother. a terrible. That sounds like a, a gag drink that someone makes. Dick Putin. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, Keep going. Keep going. Yeah. P- Peter McWilliam. Uh, he was Irish, I believe. Dave Willis, George Wilson, Jackie Rutherford at outside right. The aforementioned Bill Appleyard. No, I believe he was a number nine for Newcastle. I think he's sort of in that long uh, lineage of number nines at center forward. Um, Jimmy Howie was in the inside right. And Finley Speedy was the inside forward. Speedy. Uh, nominative determinism. He was a fast unit out there on the pitch so yeah uh historically we've we've got the edge um i think in the table we've got the edge i think uh manager wise we've got the edge i don't see any reason why we shouldn't win this except for that that good old-fashioned trapdoor. um mm. so i'm curious what you think what you think the result will be yeah um i'm gonna have uh, man i think it'll be a 2-0 win i think Mm-hmm. I think Alan St. Maxman is going to be the injection of energy that this Newcastle team needs in the league matches. I think the cup matches have been a little bit different. Uh, I think the Southampton match was, was kind of a good example of this, of the energy for those 
was driven more by uh, winning uh, the opportunity to go to a, a final, and especially for some of the local lads, like you know, like we said, Longstaff and Dan Byrne, it seemed like they were extremely amped to potentially make a cup final. But I think the league, the motivation in the league matches seems to have faltered a little bit. Uh, it it mm. felt as if, you know, when Newcastle first started out and they started going on a pretty good run, it it became more of like them getting this hope and really getting on a roll and finding their groove. And they just have not really been able to find their groove. And fortunately for them or unfortunately for them, like their play has not really affected really how much, like where they are in the table. I think, yeah, right. there was a moment in which we were second and we had, but we've been hobbling between third and fourth, depending on, <laughs> depending on when, when the matches kick off for the past, you know, few weeks. So it does feel like there's, right. there's, uh, uh, maybe not not a full lack of motivation for the team, but just they're, they're not super up for it. So I think any sort of change would would be good. And I think you have to start Alan St. Maxman just due to, to the injury issues at Newcastle. And even if you don't start Alan St. Maxman, whoever you start an attack, it's going to be different mm. than your normal lineup that you've rolled out the past you know, seven matches or whatever. So if mm-hmm. it's Anthony Gordon, if it's Alan St. Maxman, it's going to bring a different spark to the attack. Maybe create a different dynamic altogether. I think the Joe Willick, Joe Ellington overlapping runs, we saw it work to perfection in the Southampton match. That's a really cool dynamic, but you know what else is a really cool dynamic? Alan St. Maxman doing cool shit. So I'd love to see that. I think it's going to be 2-0. Yeah. I think Alan St. Maxman scores and gets an assist. Ooh. Um, I will, I, I'll, I'll agree that I think Alan St. Maxman gets an assist. I don't think he scores. Yeah. I think, I think um, Wilson gets a brace to pull himself Ooh. out of a funk. Mm-hmm. But I think Jared okay. Bowen uh, Jared Bowen pulls one back probably in the second half. I think that we, again, we go the whole first half without giving up uh, a goal. Um, but I think that Jared Bowen's going to score a league goal against Newcastle, but we'll already be up by two goals by the time he scores. So it won't matter. We win 2-1. Mm. Okay. Well, I don't think we give up a goal. So there's that. There you go. There you go. Okay. Well, uh, that didn't been, jinx him. Yeah, I hope he didn't jinx me there. Uh, that's been <laughs> another episode of CHN Radio. Um, I'm Elijah. That was Josh. Josh, do you have anything else you need to say to the peeps? No, man. Um, yeah, you're going to be at the Super Bowl. I am going to be at the Super Bowl next week. So if you're in Phoenix and you want to hang, slide in my DMs. I'll be in Phoenix all next week. I don't know who. I, uh, yeah, I don't know who who would hear that, but. Yeah, drinks on me if you see me in Phoenix. Uh, away the lads and uh, good luck. I To be a Jody and to live in Jody land. Some people think we're body and we're hard to understand. And they say it's just self pity and we're not so very tough. Cause the people in the big fat city haven't had it tough as rough. I'm coming home, Newcastle. You can keep your London wing. I'd walk the streets all day. I'll meet for a bottle of the river tine. I'm coming home. I wish I'd never been a weird 
and kiss the ground for the welcome sound in me mother saying, hey, how we I'm coming home. Then I miss the old blind busker who stands at Fenwick's door. He plays a mean accordion, you've all seen him there before. And I love the Geordie heroes, there's so many famous names. Like Lindisfarne in Gaza, Brendan Foster in the Gateshead Games. I'm coming home, Newcastle, I might as well have been in jail. I'd walk the streets all day, I'll need for a bottle of your own brown nail. I'm coming home, Newcastle, if you never win the club again. I'll brave the darkness in James's Park in the Gallagher's end in the rain. I'm coming home, Newcastle, you can keep your London wine. Walk the streets all day, I'll need for a bottle of the river tide. I'm coming home, Newcastle. I wish I'd never been away. I'd kiss the ground for the welcome sound of me mother saying, Hey, how we I'm coming home, Newcastle. I might as well have been in jail. I'd walk the streets all day, I'll need for a bottle of your own brown nail. I'm coming home, Newcastle. If you never win the cup again. I'll brave the dog, it's in James's pocket, the Gallagher's end in the rear, I'm going.